The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Wells, and you are listening to episode 279 of the podcast. Unless you're joining me live on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. If you want to catch the show live, subscribe on one of those platforms. Turn on your notifications. And uh, they'll do all the work of letting you know when the show is live. Like right now. Today is Sunday, March 20th, and we are one day removed from UFC Fight Night 204, or UFC London, as it's been referred to. Heavyweights Tom Aspinall and Alexander Volkov in the main event. Um, before we get into that, some other things I want to tell you about my day. And uh, by the way, I hope everybody had... Uh, a safe and, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I hope you all celebrated responsibly. It's kind of funny that there there's a holiday, you know, that revolves around a nation that causes the entire world to want to drink beer and whiskey. It's kind of a cool phenomenon if you think about it. And I'll, I'll tell you guys a quick story about my Irish heritage. Uh, I am half Irish. If you couldn't tell by my pale skin and the red in my beard, I'll go ahead and tell you. My great-grandmother, um, well, all of my great-grandparents uh, on that side actually, um, immigrated here from Ireland on a rickety old boat. And uh, I was lucky enough to uh, to meet my great-grandmother. She was still alive when I was a kid. And I, I got to hear some stories of of her coming over here and um, you, you know, what a rough trip it was and everything and, and how the Irish were uh, discriminated against um, at that point in time. But um, they were hard workers and built lives for themselves. And um, her daughter, my grandmother, used to play um, Irish folk music for me. And she used to play this group called the Irish Rovers. Um, and she would play this album like over and over for me. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I remember it very vividly. Um, she's no longer with us as, as is my, uh, great grandmother, obviously. But, um, there was one song on that album. It was called the orange and the green. And it was kind of a parody about the religious turmoil in Ireland, uh, between the Northern Irish Protestants and the Southern Irish Catholics, uh, the, the premise of the story is that the kid, it's a kid singing the song and his father was Protestant or orange and his mother was Catholic or green. And it would cause a lot of fighting within the family. And the climax of the song is his father's relatives come over and his mother's relatives come over and um, they tried to keep everything calm, but it wound up being a big fight. And the protagonist of the song 
declares that I had to stay neutral. So I just started bashing everyone. So when I was a kid from the age of, I don't know, three or four, uh, when I had my first memories of hearing this song, I would ask my, she would put this album on and I would ask my grandmother uh, to put on the song with all the fighting because uh, I loved it. And it was a catchy tune. Um, so check it out if you're into uh, Irish folk music. But I, I guess the point of the story is to tell you that um, I haven't changed too much in, <laughs> in the 30 some odd years uh, since then. You know, I, I still uh, I still am drawn to fighting. Uh, so that was just a quick little anecdote. Um, I'm going to pour myself a drink here. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught on social media my recommendation for Irish whiskey. Um, it doesn't have to be St. Patrick's Day to drink Irish whiskey. You can drink it anytime. Um, obviously, everybody reaches for the Guinness and Jameson, and that's all well and good. I, um, you know, I like that stuff too. But if you want to step it up a notch, uh, this is actually my, probably my favorite Irish whiskey. Um, and the light is not doing me any favors here. And it is Green Spot. Um, it, obviously more expensive than your Jameson's and Tullamore do and, and things like that. Um, and, uh, it's just a really nice, smooth Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey is nice because it's typically lower proof. Um, it's, it's typically around 80 proof or 40% alcohol, which is lower than most things you would find, uh, here in the States and, and lower than a lot of scotch as well. I'm not sure the reason for that, but it does, you know, make a more mellow sip. So if you want to ease into drinking whiskey straight, um, Irish whiskey is a, a good place to start, but it has a lot of the classic Irish whiskey notes. It's got, you know, those vanillas. It's got like the sweet uh, shortbread cookie to it uh, that Irish whiskeys are known for. Single pot still whiskey. Um, you're not going to get too many like peaty or smoky Irish whiskeys. There are a few. Uh, Connemara is one of them uh, that actually uses peat uh, to, to smoke the barley before they distill. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to get a low proof, very smooth, very easy drinking whiskey. Uh, that's why a lot of people enjoy doing them as shots. Uh, I'm actually going to taste another Irish whiskey right here. This is Kilbrin. I don't believe I've ever had this before, but I, I just picked up this little shooter at the liquor store. So I figure I'd give you guys a live tasting here. You can see like the light color. They're not big on like barrel aging stuff. You know, it's all typically pot distilled. They'll age it for a little bit. I don't think they even disclose like how long they did. They distill it for it's another 40 percent alcohol um you know the 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 lowest you'll typically find with with like american bourbons is like 86 proof um there, there might be a couple that are lower but you know usually we're we're in the 90s with bourbon uh and then you have your bottled and bond bourbons that are 100 proof so the irish whiskey is much lower and I'm not sure what the reason is. If anybody does, uh, you know, feel free to let me know. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with an Irish whiskey there. 
they all have like a similar flavor profile. And um, Mark wants to know if Green Dot is even better than Proper 12. Um, <laughs> it's Green Spot, actually, Mark. Um, I see you're not taking notes. And uh, yeah, I would I would say it's better than Proper 12. Proper 12 is like, uh, I would equate it to like a Jameson. It's like a mid to low shelf Irish whiskey, and it's not bad for what it is. Um, and and same as this Kilburn, I would put I would put this in the same category. It's got that sweetness, that vanilla to it. There's very little burn. Um, you know, a brand new whiskey drinker might get a little bit of burn off of this, but you know, someone like myself who has you know killed all this skin cells or whatever line mucus, whatever lines my esophagus, it's all dead. There's no nerves there anymore. So um, this is just like drinking iced tea to me <sighs> without the sugar. All right. Um, before I get into the UFC, uh, I don't know if, if you guys follow on social media or not, but I was kind of documenting my day a little bit. And for the first time, and I've been in the world of martial arts for a long time. <clears throat> I uh, I judged fights. It was for uh, Vigilant MMA Combat Quest 18. It was here in Tampa. And the, the way this came about was, you guys know that the company that makes the merchandise for the show is a, is a local company in Tampa as well called Team Reaper. Um, they make our t-shirts, hoodies, and tank tops, which you can get on their website. And I'll put in the, in the, uh, description link as always. And you can use the promo code MMA rocks 10 to save yourself 10%. So this company makes the merchandise for my podcast. I know the owner, uh, we communicate and, um, he also happens to sponsor a, combat sports promotion in tampa so vigilant mma is a promotion company the event they put on is combat quest and they pretty much do everything uh but in a cage so there was muay thai there was kickboxing there was san shao which is like kickboxing with judo throws um there was one jujitsu match that they did in the cage and uh and there was some mma fights so uh, one of my contacts from Team Reaper reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to judge fights because uh, he knows I have experience. I've been training a long time and uh, I'm a coach and figured I would be a reasonable and fair person, which I took as a compliment that he thought of me and asked me to do it. And I was very excited to say yes. I have criticized judges <laughs> quite a bit on this show in the past six plus years. So I thought it only be fair that I put myself in their shoes and, you know, see if it was more difficult than I thought. Um, I will say since the, these fights were all amateur and um, the, the, the level of amateur is a lot higher than it was uh, back when I started training. Uh, it's definitely 
it, it, there's definitely a lot cleaner technique. People have, you know, evolved more. Um, and I have to say the combat quest put on a great show. Um, it was at a local bar in Tampa called the Dallas bull, uh, which is right near the hard rock casino. And, uh, it's basically like a big dance hall that has a second floor, which became like the mezzanine level of the event. So they put a cage in the middle of the dance floor with chairs around it, uh, VIP tables, and then people could also sit up in the balcony. I was sitting with my face uh, maybe a foot and a half away from the cage. I was sitting on a stool. Uh, there were three judges, and I, I had always envisioned like, okay, three judges would sit at a table together. But um, the guy who runs the promotion didn't want the judges to have any contact with each other. He wanted three different perspectives. So we were each at a different point of the cage. So we each had a different view. Um, you could see everything. You could see the whole cage, but um, yeah, he didn't want us talking to each other and uh, influencing each other, which I thought made sense. Um, we, we got together afterwards and kind of talked about it. And we were actually all on the same page for every fight except one. So there was only one split decision on the card. Um, and, and it was a bit of a, a controversial one. Um, I have to say, I have a lot more respect for judges now because I, I've been training a long time. I know what I'm looking at, but especially at the amateur level, there are just, there are scrambles and it's hard to tell who got the better of who you're trying to remember like big things that happened at the beginning of the round. Like, was there a big takedown? Was there a knockdown? But then this other guy's landing more. So you're kind of doing these calculations on the fly. And then the referee comes over to take the scorecard like right as the round ends. So I got to just, I have to calculate that last round and add it up and just hand him the paper. Um, and, and yeah, there was a lot of pressure because it's amateur fights. So all the people in the audience are there supporting somebody. So there could be a fight going on where one guy does something and the crowd goes nuts but what I'm looking at is not that guy winning the fight. He just did something that excited all of his relatives and maybe he had more people there. So trying to focus in on that and just be fair and non-biased and, and tune out the crowd, um, that was more difficult than I thought it would be. So I could imagine, you know, doing it for the UFC, um, you know, where there's like a hometown fighter like there was many of them last night in London. Um, so there was that aspect of it. And then I'm also hearing people uh, in the crowd behind me who are talking and, and saying like, so-and-so is winning. And I, I didn't let any of that influence me, but you know, there's just a lot of distractions. It's loud. I can hear the coaches cornering. Um, and then I was sitting right near one of the corners, so I would hear the advice they were telling their fighters. Um, and, and then, you know, my brain is kind of thinking about whether the fighter was following the advice or not. And then realizing, like, oh, I got to be making sure I'm, I'm keeping track of the points and, and doing the mental math. It was a, it was a little bit more difficult uh, than I thought it would be. Um, 
but it was also my first time. You know, obviously I've judged a lot of fights from my couch um, <laughs> uh, while drinking a lot of whiskey. It's real easy to do then. And uh, I still stand by a lot of the really glaring uh, errors in MMA judging that I've criticized. Uh, I'm not going to backtrack on any of that, but at least I can say now I've been in their shoes and I know, uh, you know, kind of what what it feels like to do that, which I thought was a great experience. Um, so I appreciate Team Reaper inviting me to do that. I appreciate Vigilant MMA having me to the show. Um, and it was a fun experience. Uh, there were some actually really great fights. There were some uh, on the prelims. There were some kids kickboxing uh, fights. There were one one set of kids was uh, 12 years old, and th those kids were just wailing on each other. They were wearing headgear, but, um, man, that one was pretty brutal. Um, the jiu-jitsu match, I did not judge because it was a uh, submission. Then there was one Sanchao fight, which uh, I don't know if I've ever watched a Sanchao fight, but it, it's, it was pretty easy to score because it was – like watching Muay Thai, you can just add some throws. <clears throat> Mark wants to know how many bribes was I offered? Um, the answer is none because uh, nobody knew I was a judge. On my card, I just wrote judge number one and I put my name on it, but they don't read my name out. Uh, I'm just kind of sitting on a stool and there are all kinds of people sitting around the cage. There were cameramen and you know, tech guys and uh, the guy who cleans the blood off the cage and everything like that. Um, so nobody knew who I was. And even if they did, I don't think anybody's paying off an amateur uh, MMA judge. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't I can't even imagine what the price tag on something like that would be. And even if there were one, I would not accept it. I was determined to be uh, absolutely fair. Um, there were some pretty brutal knockouts. One of them was a Muay Thai fight. And it was San a guy named Samuel Martin. Um, first round, uh, they, they called it a TKO, but he, he knocked the guy down three times. And um, they, the guy was toast after getting knocked down the second time. Uh, and then MMA fight in the co-main event that was actually like a really close back-and-forth fight. Dakota Trice um, was knocked out in the second round. Um, or is it Tice? Tice. Um Oh, no, I'm, I'm looking at the main event. All right, Dakota Trice was knocked out uh, brutally, collapsed right in front of where I was sitting. Um, he just got caught with a big punch and went down, and he did not get up for, um, I want to say, like, four minutes. Like, it was scary. He was laying on the mat, uh, not moving. Um And yeah, it's, it's rough to see, you know, his, I think it was his mother was there and she tried to get into the cage and she was very concerned. Obviously um, he did eventually get up and was able to walk 
out of the cage and didn't have to be taken out on a stretcher or anything. Um, then the main event was two big heavyweights. It was for the, the heavyweight championship. Um, and this was Tice. This was DJ Tice, who's the heavyweight champion, defended his title against Roy Simmons. The first round, they just kind of circled each other. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And then um, Tice shot for a takedown on Simmons and drove him to the cage right in front of where I was sitting. Now, again, my face is about a foot and a half from the cage. I'm sitting right up against it. Like my legs are touching the, the edge of the cage and I'm on a high stool. So my face is like right in there. And when these two giant bears barreled into the cage, I swear I thought it was going to tip over. I saw my life flash before my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I had big burly man sweat all over me, um, which was uncomfortable and exciting at the same time. Um, but yeah, the, the rest of the fight was uh, the champ uh, scoring takedowns and, and beating up Simmons on the ground. Uh, wound up with a unanimous decision. So it was fun. It was a great, it was a great promotion. I've been to a lot of um, amateur events and I have to say it was, it was pretty well organized. Like, you know, you had your little hiccups here and there, but, but for the most part, like people were talking to each other on headsets and they had cameramen on top of the cage. Uh, they had photographers up in the balcony. Uh, they had an announcer that was, that was good. Um, my buddy, J.R. Ridge, one of my training partners is, is one of the broadcasters for them. Uh, I didn't get to hear it because I was watching the fight live, not listening to the broadcast, but I'm sure he did a great job. Uh, you guys know J.R. He's been a, a guest. I would definitely do it again. It was a great experience. I, I thank, uh, Vigilant, Combat Quest, Team Reaper, and everyone involved, uh, for allowing me to do it. And, hopefully inviting me back to do it again. It was a good time. All right, folks, let's talk about uh, UFC Fight Night 204 from London. It was a good night for the British fighters for the most part. Um, let's see here. So let's start with the main event. So Tom Aspinall, once he kind of figured out uh, the range of Volkov, um, which didn't take him long and got the fight to the ground. He finished with a straight arm bar, which is not a submission you typically see in MMA. It's, it's kind of tough to get. Um, you you kind of have to get it in transition between a Kimura and an Americana. Um, and it's just weird, especially because, you know, Volkov has, such long arms you would think it'd be difficult for Aspinall to get the right, uh, leverage. Um, with such a long arm, but he was able to do it. Aspinall, uh, is impressive for sure. Uh, I mean, the dude is well-rounded. Um, it seems like he's been training a long time. Uh, he's on a good run now. I mean, I can't remember anybody finishing Volkov in the first round. Um, I can't remember Volkov being submitted, so correct me if I'm wrong. 
Uh, let's see. He's got Aspinall now has one, two, three, four, five fights in a row. And this was a high pressure main event, you know, in his home country. And he was able to perform uh, like this, uh, submitting, you know, a top heavyweight like Volkov in the first round. Um, so impressive. And I believe he called out Tai Tuyavasa. And even Mark is saying he's worried about uh, Mark Fellows, our Australian buddy, is saying he's worried about uh, Aspinall facing Tuyavasa. Um, it'd be a fun fight. It'd be a really fun fight. I can't see. Ah, man, I feel like I feel like Tuyavasa would be hard to get to the ground. He's just so big. It, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. Um, let's see. Co-main event. Arnold Allen, uh, TKO over Dan Hooker. This was uh, this was some of the most exciting couple minutes uh, on the card. I mean, these two were just slinging bombs at each other, and then Dan Hooker just got the worst of it. Uh, Arnold Allen um, flipped a switch here. You know, usually a very patient calculated fighter um good ground game good top pressure ah our friends over at blast mma shout out to coach bill Eastlick letting me know that volkov has been submitted twice back in m1 m1 global i remember that promotion but that was back in 2009 so all right so he hasn't been submitted in like 11 12 years all right, um, Arnold Allen just flipped a switch and, uh, you know, took it out on Dan Hooker's face. Uh, Dan Hooker dropping back down to featherweight. I believe he had fought there early in his career, uh, and then he moved to lightweight, and he went on a run. And Dan Hooker's a big dude. I mean, he's six foot, and he's not, he's not, like, doesn't have the super small frame. Like, I wouldn't think 45 would be the best place for him. He looked very dehydrated uh, during the weigh-in. And, you know, of course people are are shitting on him right away and saying, like, well, he moved down away and he got knocked out. I'd say slow down with that kind of talk. I, I do think lightweight is the place for him. I, I don't think he'll ever fight for a championship or anything like that, but he is still a very good fighter. And if you look at his losses – they're only against top competition. So um, the brutal loss to Edson Barbosa, which is one of the worst beatings I've ever seen in an MMA fight. Um, I still wake up in my sleep sometimes yelling, stop the fight because I'm having nightmares uh, about that fight. But then, you know, he went on a good run beating uh, James Vick, ally of Quinta and Paul Felder. Okay. And granted the Paul Felder fight was a close uh close decision uh then he loses to dustin poirier who was the interim champion he loses to michael chandler who was a champion in bellator and fought for the championship in the ufc then he still gets a win against nasrat hawk prost after that and then he lost to islam makachev which i think anybody who fights islam makachev is going to want to leave the division because they know they're not going to be able to ever be champion while that guy's in their same division 
during their career. So he might as well be like, well, I'm not going to beat that guy. So I might as well suck myself dry and, uh, and move down a weight class. But, and then we don't know how high the ceiling is on Arnold Allen. Uh, he's undefeated in the UFC, I believe. And I think this is the kind of fight. Yeah. So Arnold Allen has not lost in the UFC and he's been around since 2015. I feel like this is the kind of fight co-main event where he got the confidence boost he needs to reach his potential. So Dan Hooker only has losses to elite lightweights in the UFC. And he only has one loss at featherweight and it's to a potentially elite featherweight. I mean, Arnold Allen is the real deal. He's got, he's well-rounded. He's got a submission game. He can knock you out. Now he's coming with confidence in his power. He called out Calvin Cater. I love that fight. Um, and yeah, I think it was, I think it was fun. I think it's a fun fight. Uh, Cater and Allen. Uh, our friends at RC Fun Zone say that crazy thing about Barbosa doing what he did to Hooker and then seeing him in his last fight against Bryce. Yeah, I mean, I think Barbosa was just a different beast then. I think that was like four years ago, 2018, off the top of my head. I mean, I could easily pull it back up again with another click, but I'm not going to. So Mark wants to know where Arnold Allen is ranked now. Well, the new rankings won't be out until uh, until tomorrow or Tuesday, I believe. So we'll see. I mean, I imagine, you know, Dan Hooker wasn't ranked at featherweight, but I, I imagine it's going to bolster him a, a good couple of steps. Oh, he's ranked number seven. So I guess they are out. Well, Mark, your sources are better than mine. Thank you for contributing. All right. Uh, let's go on to, uh, probably the biggest needle mover on the card, Patty Pimblett. This guy is, uh, is interesting. They're calling him the, the funniest nickname I've heard for him is the, they call him the fifth beetle because he's got the, that Beatles haircut, but he's, but he's blonde and like, kind of like, I don't know, like goofy, like cartoony looking. I think it's great. Um, this guy is going to have problems at lightweight because his striking is still very raw and he gets hit. Um, his thing is the ground. Uh, he won this fight against Rodrigo Vargas by a rear naked choke in the first round, but you know, not without some drama. He got clocked pretty good. He got dropped in that first round. Uh, <laughs> Mark Fellows says that Owen Hart is Patty's father. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Speaking of which, very tragic that the, the professional wrestler Scott Hall uh, passed away recently. Um, so uh, I'll mention that. That was a big part of my youth. I was a big WWF fan back in the day. And I remember being a big fan of Razor Ramon. And uh, I loved Scott Hall in the... Uh, resurrecting jake the snake documentary if you guys were a fan of pro wrestling as kids definitely go watch uh the resurrection of jake the snake it's just an excellent 
like winning story of a guy who was so down in the dumps, um, you know, alcoholic and drug addict and overweight, out of shape. His kids weren't talking to him. And then he starts doing yoga with Diamond Dallas Page and completely turns his life around and, you know, gets gets to actually even um, train in wrestling again. And, and Scott Hall was kind of a sub-character of that documentary. So definitely very cool. Uh, so Patty Pimblett, it's tough, man, because what do you do with this guy? I imagine his next fight has to be like a main event or a co-main event. But you look at, look at, he looks like, he looks like he could have been one of the siblings in Home Alone. You know, like he could have been one of Macaulay Culkin's like younger brothers or something. Um, yeah, it's tough. Okay, so this is his second fight in the UFC and his second finish in the first round. The kid's good. He's got skills, and he's tough as hell. But his next fight is going to have to be probably a co-main event. At least, I would think, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you give him because... If you give him someone like Terrence McKinney would be a great fight, I think. Um, but then at the same time, you might want to keep those two away from each other. Um, because you have two really big potential stars there. Um, he, he got into the altercation with Taporia. I think they're going to keep Taporia away from him for sure. Uh, even though they have like a personal beef because patty like threw a bottle of hand sanitizer at him or something um yeah interesting interesting um there's definitely still a lot of holes in his striking he he fights with his chin straight up um and and he's he's a little raw on the feet um I, i was even i was watching some of the clips of him hitting pads in the back and um, there were just like some very rudimentary things that were, that were off with it. And it, when you start getting into even the top 20 of this lightweight division, look at a guy like, look at a guy like Bobby green, who Bobby green is ranked like what number 20 or something, but Bobby green throws straight punches right down the pipe. And that's the worst thing for a guy who comes in, throwing looping shots with his chin straight up in the air. Um, But maybe, you know, you build him up, give him some other grapplers and, and hope he fills in the gaps. Um, Because it's going to be a tough go for him at the top of the division, which, you know, I'm not saying give him a top 10 opponent, but, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, he's already, it was the third fight on this card in London. Um, he He's calling for the UFC to go to Liverpool, uh, where he's from. Which, by the way, when they cut to Patty's corner and he, they were giving him advice, I couldn't understand a fucking thing those guys were saying. That Scouser accent is a rough one. It's like somebody put 
British, Irish, and Scottish accents in a washing machine. And like, you just like, whatever comes out is some combination of the three. That's like, not really easy to understand. Um, uh, so let's see our friends at blast MMA saying he's not at the top of the division. No, he's definitely not, but, uh, he's got more marketability than most of the division. Um, so he was, he was already, you know, just before the co-man event on this card. So I imagine, and he got the biggest pop of the night. So I would imagine if they do a card in Liverpool, he's going to have to be at least the co-main event. Um, <clears throat> let's see. All right. Scouser accent. We went over that. Gunnar Nelson made his return. Uh, who's always been a fun fighter to watch in my opinion, just very unorthodox, very, he, he's got that kind of like bouncing karate stance. Um, and he's, He's also like a really good grappler. Uh, and this was a tough fight. You know, if you've had a, I think it was a two-year layoff or whatever it was, uh, coming back against Takashi Sato is, is no easy task. Um, and, and he looked great. Um, you know, he basically, he basically shut down Sato on the feet and then spent most of the rounds on his back, uh, with a bot with a tight looking body triangle and just beat the shit out of him. It was just hammer fists and, you know, looks like very uncomfortable positions and, and wasn't able to get the, uh, the rear naked choke because, uh, Sato's, uh, defense stayed really tight. Um, but you know, he wasn't able to escape the position either. And what, what I thought was interesting and what I thought was going to, be the demise of Gunnar Nelson was he was leaping forward with a rear hook that he would kind of turn into like a slap collar tie. And he was trying to use that to get into the clinch. And usually when you go for a collar tie, you go with your lead hand or you switch stances if you're going to use your rear hand. But he was just leaping forward with the rear hand and grabbing the back of the neck. And sometimes he was throwing it as a hook and sometimes he was grabbing for the collar tie. Um, very unusual. And since Sato is a, a Southpaw, just a straight jab, uh, would have put an end to that. But I guess Gunner was timing it in such a way that Sato wasn't able to counter it. He was able to just keep doing it over and over. Um, so I, I was watching that thinking like, man, if he keeps doing that, he's going to get stuck with a jab. Um, but he never did. It, it never happened. So what do I know? enough to be a judge i'll tell you that much and i know i like irish whiskey so those are two things i know beyond that who knows uh let's see molly mccann another scouser i don't know if it's polite to call a female a scouser or not but you know she's from that area of the world as well uh, teammates with Patty Pimblett, I believe, um, came out wild in this first round against Luana Carolina. I thought she was going to gas herself out. And it looked like Carolina wanted out in that first round. It looked like she was looking for a way out. But to her credit, she got back in the fight. And she was never really at a point where she was winning the fight. 
But, you know, she, she hung in there. Like, she stayed tough until the third round when she ran into a spinning back elbow, which tell me if anybody saw that coming. Because I was watching the fight, and I was like, what was that shot <laughs> that did that? I had to see the replay to actually see there was a spinning back elbow. And, man, that place erupted. Uh, that was a wild, wild knockout. You typically don't see females get knocked out cold like that. Um, so a, a great performance um, by by Molly McCann. And, you know, she's got to be on top of the world right now because a finish like that in, in front of her home country crowd, usually it works the opposite way. If you're fighting in your hometown – it's stressful because people are asking you for tickets and like sending you messages all the time. And then you're worried because you know, 50 people in the crowd and they're all there to see you and you don't want to disappoint them. And like the stress weighs on you, but I don't know, for whatever reason, these British fighters, it, it works to their advantage apparently um, <clears throat> as it did for a lot of the folks on the London card last night. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. For Jai Herbert, uh, who got knocked out by Ilya Teporia in the second round. Uh, and Herbert, I, I thought, won the first round. And Teporia had to come back a little bit. And it was just a beautiful sequence from Teporia that finished the fight. It was it was a head-body-head sequence. But before he threw the right to the head, he kind of ducked down like he was going to go to the body. And Herbert, if you notice bit on the feint and dropped his hands. So when Taporia came with the overhand, that landed, and then he went to the body, and then he went back to the head, and that was what dropped him uh, and just put him out cold. But it was a great fight up to that point. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm sure uh, Patty didn't want to see uh, Taporia win in such a way. Um, and, and it was a huge knockout, but I still don't think the UFC is going to make that fight. I think they have different trajectories for each of these guys. Maybe they'll meet at some point down the line. I don't even know what the problem was between these two guys. Like what started it? Why Patty threw sanitizer at him? Um, and it's just interesting that, you know, people are able to throw sanitizer now because two years ago, that would be like, you know, throwing a stack of hundred dollar bills that was a hot commodity in uh in early 2020 uh let me see catch up on some comments here <clears throat> bruce palm trotter says dan hooker is almost as good at getting murdered as actual hookers agreed and he agreed as part of the comment. He's asking a question. I'm not going to agree with that, but I am going to acknowledge that it's funny. So uh, that's a good one, Bruce. Um, let's see. Mark Fellows says, close to the best female KO of all time. Shevchenko versus I comes to mind. Uh, Holly Holm versus Ronda Rousey. I would say Amanda Nunez against Cyborg. Uh, as one of the most impressive knockouts to me. Um, and let's see. 
Okay, Mark is telling me that Patty tweeted a political war thing against Georgians. Ooh. All right, I'm not going to touch that one. Not going to touch that one. Oh, yeah, Blast MMA. Rose Nami Yunus versus uh, Wiley Zhang. That was another good one. Um, yeah, there has been... There's been some good ones. The 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 Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey was that that one was was gruesome, especially because like nobody nobody thought that was gonna go down like that. You know, Ronda Rousey seemed indestructible at that time, uh, and the fact that she was able to just have a highlight reel KO like that. Um, when she hadn't been finishing people in the UFC up to that point. Um, so like everything surrounding that fight made that such an incredible knockout. Um, yeah, but thanks for all those contributions and uh, taking me down memory lane here for the women's MMA. Makwana Mirakani uh, submits Mike Grundy uh, to, in 57 seconds. So this, this fight, you know, two really good grapplers. Mike Grundy shoots in for the takedown first, leaves his neck in a little bit too long. And Amir Khani just from that front headlock position, from that uh, guillotine position, he just tr he transitions to different chokes so well um, and was actually able to put Grundy to sleep with the anaconda choke that it wound up being. But he was just kind of transitioning from Armin guillotine to Darce and anaconda choke and just kind of weaving back and forth i think like like popeye dancing just going <laughs> in and out <laughs> transitioning between those different arm positions um let's see so there was that i mean um Mirkani was coming off of i believe a three fight losing streak and mike grundy had lost two in a row so Amirakani thought that he was fighting for his job and um, pretty sure he kept it. Um, let's see. For the sake of time, I'll kind of breeze over the rest of this. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich uh, with a TKO over Shamil Abdurahimov. Uh, these two former training partners, and I guess Pavlovich left the camp um, and took his boxing coach with him. Uh, but these guys didn't seem like they hated each other or anything. It wasn't like a heated fight. Um, they, they were both kind of tentative because they knew each other. But then Pavlovich, man, he's just got he's just got crazy power. Although I do think that Abdurahimov was covering up a lot. And, you know, right when the TKO was announced by the referee, he stood up right away. Um I don't think it was a, a terrible stoppage, but it probably could have gone on a little bit longer. I'm not going to be too critical anymore until I actually, you know, <laughs> strap up the black Nikes and get in there and, and referee a fight myself. Maybe that's the next thing I need to do. Um, I was actually thinking about that today while watching, while watching this uh, card and, and judging it for vigilant MMA. Like maybe I should see about refereeing a fight, at least like a, at least like a smoker or something like something with, with not a lot on the line, just to, just to get in there and, and see what it feels like. Cause I've always kind of wondered, maybe I should just grab like some of my, uh, 
some of my intro students and just make them fight and like pretend to referee it. Then I can say I'm experienced at that too. In any case, Pavlovich coming away with the first round TKO. Uh, Paul Craig, another first round submission over a really tough uh, Nikita Krylov. Locked up a triangle on him. Uh, what can you say about Paul Craig, man? This guy, he's another guy who I feel like just at some point it clicked and he got a confidence boost. Um, his last big loss was the knockout loss to Alonzo Menafield, and he was able to bounce back. And since then, he has had one, two, three submission finishes, four if you count submission to punches against uh, in the rematch with Shogun. And then uh, I guess it was a technical submission over Jamal Hill, too, when he broke his arm. Um, just a, a, a crazy run since that knockout loss in 2019. And he had the draw with Shogun, but that was like kind of bullshit. And, um, you know, he, he tapped him out with punches in the rematch. So yeah, man, Paul Craig is a problem at two Oh five. The guy's got super slick submissions. Like who wants to get in there with a guy that's breaking dudes arms at this weight? Because a lot of the light heavyweights and heavyweights, they're typically not, like technically sound with the submissions, you know, they're usually, you know, have a couple in their back pocket that they can kind of muscle, but like real jujitsu technique, it, it, you're really thin in the herd when you get into those higher weight classes, you know, light heavyweight, heavyweight. I could probably name you all, all of the best submission artists uh, ever. I mean, there was Fabrizio Verdum, there was Frank Mir, it was Noguera, uh, Fedor, and then it gets it gets a little murky after that. Um, so yeah. Uh, Jack Shore unanimous decision over Timor Valiev, uh, another local guy coming away with the victory. Elise Reed split decision, the only split decision on the card over Corey McKenna and uh, Mohammed. Mikhaev submits Cody Durden in the first round, 58 seconds of the first round with a guillotine. What was cool about the bonuses uh, for this card, I don't know if you guys are aware, every finish on the card got a $50,000 bonus because I was wondering, this is one of the only times I actually looked it up before recording the podcast. Usually I'm, I'm going over the results and like, oh, I hope this guy got a bonus or I hope this girl got a bonus not knowing who got them. So I decided, why don't I actually have a little bit of journalistic integrity here and look up the information before going live to the internet to all you fine folks. And uh, yeah, it turns out the UFC gave $50,000 bonus to every finish on the card, which was nine finishes. If you're trying to do the math in your head, that's $450,000, uh, pretty close to a half a million dollars given out in bonuses, which by far set a UFC record, uh, hopefully sets a new precedence or, or motivates fighters to, you know, get out there and put on shows like this. I think it's great. Um, of course, you're going to get people on the other side not saying it's great and saying like, well, obviously they can afford to do this every time. And, you know, they need to be paying every fighter $50,000 more. It's like, all right, well, 
once you've ever given somebody fifty thousand dollars uh out of your pocket i think you're qualified to make that criticism but until you've done that uh let's say you're not and that will not be an experiment that i'll be doing i'm not going to give anybody fifty thousand dollars just so i can judge uh you know the ufc bonuses um <laughs> let's see mark says thank god you researched it i can take a rest for once mark fellows is like my young jamie sometimes i just put i just put questions out there into the universe knowing that he's going to come up with an answer and maybe i use that as a crutch sometimes and other times i use green spot as a crutch by the way those of you who are asking about the audio version of the episode from last week that i recorded uh, in Orlando, to be honest, I uh, may have drank a little too much and I was just exhausted and realized I was falling asleep at the end of the episode. Um, so I did you all a favor and I did not post the audio from that. So if you missed last week's show, the only place it exists is on YouTube. Uh, if you want to see me embarrass myself and basically fall asleep on a live podcast, um, that's where you can see that on YouTube. While you're there, make sure you subscribe and turn on your notifications so you can join us live because you can see how much fun we're having with all the comments and questions tonight. So you should join in on that fun and subscribe. And I'm really sick of these ads on SureDog, and I keep forgetting to use a different site. I'm just a, I'm a creature of habit, so I'm just used to pulling it up um, as... As I go here. All right. So next week, uh, UFC is in Columbus, Ohio. UFC on ESPN 33. It's so hard to keep track. We're on like UFC Vegas 40. UFC Fight Night 204. UFC on ESPN 33. I wish they would just like number them one way. Like the pay-per-views and everything. Like let's just, let's just do this all sequentially. Let's see here. Fun heavyweight main event. Curtis Blades, Chris Dawkins. Curtis Blades is one of these guys that, like, man, at any given point, he probably could have been the best heavyweight. And then he had, like, two kind of freak losses to the champ and Ganu, and they're probably never going to let him fight him again. So, But Dawkins, I feel like he's having a quick turnaround here. Yeah, he just had the knockout loss to Derek Lewis in December. But before that was on a pretty good run. Parker Porter, Alexi Olenek, Shamil Abdurahimov, uh, and, and those were all knockout wins. Uh, let's see. He got knocked out by Derek Lewis. We have not really seen Chris Dawkins's grappling tested yet in the UFC. And that's what we're going to see with Curtis blades, who is probably by far the best wrestler in the heavyweight division. Um, the, the, the guy's just a monster. He's relentless. He doesn't get tired. Uh, let's see. What has he done lately? He's coming off of a win over Rosen strike and also a knockout loss. Uh, to Derek Lewis. That's right. Derek Lewis had that kind of short, like bowling ball, bowling punch. 
This is a fun main event. I I don't really know how this one goes. Dawkins has good game plans. Uh, he's got good power. Uh, but how's he going to deal with the wrestling? And how's he going to deal with coming off of that nasty knockout loss to uh, Derek Lewis, who is the knockout king of the UFC record books? Um, this is never not going to throw me off. Joanne Wood, formerly Joanne Calderwood. So <clears throat> if you're not aware, she got married to a guy with the last name Wood. And her maiden name is Calderwood. So it seemed like she was just, I don't know, being hip and dropping the first part of her surname. Uh, but not the case. She got married. And she's fighting Alexa Grasso in the co-main event. So that's a fun fight. I like that one. That's actually like a really good matchup there. <clears throat> and we got um, Askar Askarov and Kai Kara France. Uh, this has to be... This has to be a number one contender fight for flyweight, right? I would think. This is this is a tough one, man. Askarov is like he's he's like relentless pace with with the grappling, and Kai Kara France is a rel relentless pace in general. These little guys throw down. Um, let's see. Matt Brown and Brian Barberina. How do you not love that fight? That's going to be a, a war. I feel like this one was supposed to happen recently, but one of these guys got COVID or an injury or something. Here's a fun one for me. This one might seem boring to a lot of people, but Alir Latifi and Alexi Olenek. I'm a fan of both of these guys. Latifi and national wrestling champion. Olenek with like 50 submissions or whatever it is on his record, can submit dudes from the bottom. And he's like pretty wild and reckless on the feet because he's not afraid of the fight going to the ground. So he'll just throw whatever. And if it ends up on the ground, he's like, well, great. That's what I wanted anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's an interesting one for me. I would think Latifi would want to keep that one standing because you don't want to be on top or underneath Olenek. 59, 16, and 1 is an Olenek's record. That's insane. All right. Uh, Jennifer Maya against uh, Man and Fura. I have nothing on that one. Uh, Neil Magny and Max Griffin. This is a fun fight. And I had no idea it was happening. Neil Magny is coming off of... He was on a main event two fights ago against Michael Chiesa. And then won his last fight against Jeff Neal and now he's on the prelims man who did Neil Magny piss off such a nice dude um Max Griffin good technical striker throws straight punches makes very few mistakes on the feet um but Neil Magny is just so good everywhere um he's just like a little bit above average and in each area. Um, let's see. Mark DeCasey against, <clears throat> oh man, Vyacheslav Borshev. I do my best on that one, guys. I'm not familiar with this fight here. 
I don't know. Did I get that wrong? Vyacheslav Borshev. His nickname is Slava. Let's just go with that. Um, okay, so Dana White contender series fighter. Basically, his last four fights. He's only got seven fights, but his last four fights were all knockout wins. <laughs> One was a submission to punches. Okay, this is this is a fun fight. Because DeCasey is an explosive fighter. Uh, explosive striker coming off of uh, two losses in a row. That's a really fun fight, I think. Somebody's getting knocked out in that one. Sarah McMahon against Carol Rosa. That's a fun one. Chris Gutierrez and Bajarel Dana. Dana. Man, these names are getting rough towards the end of this one. I better just quit while I'm ahead. And here's the rest of these fights. Um, I'm not too familiar with a lot of these fighters, and I don't want to uh, disrespect them by pronouncing their names wrong. So I'm just not going to. You guys can just Google the card and look it up and look at their records and all that stuff. Um, and if you really want my opinion, you can DM me about it. All right, I think I covered everything. Irish whiskey, Scouser accents, my Irish heritage, me judging my first MMA slash kickboxing slash Sanchao slash uh, jujitsu uh, slash Muay Thai card, which was a lot of fun. Thanks again. And shout out to Vigilant MMA uh, and another shout out to uh, Team Reaper uh, for thinking of me and, and inviting me to... Um, to do that it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Uh, check out Vigilant MMA. They have a, a pretty cheap uh, subscription, uh, subscription-based platform on their website. Um, you know, if you want to watch some good amateur fights, it's it's a different experience than watching pro fights, and especially because you get so many different styles. So you get a a kickboxing fight, and then a grappling fight right after, and then an MMA fight. Um, it's cool the way they set it up. And if you often find yourself over the top or under the influence or both, then grab some merchandise from our friends over at Team Reaper. Reaper1.co is the website. As always, I'll put the link in the description wherever you happen to be consuming the podcast. Thank you all for listening. As a thank you, I'll give you my promo code, MMARocks10, to use it... Uh, Team Reaper's website, that's M-M-A-R-O-C-K-S-1-0. Save 10% on your whole order, whether it's my merchandise or not. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Mark says, <laughs> Mark says he'll subscribe if I judge, ref, and commentate the same night. Like, not the same fight, though. Like, ref one, judge one, and commentate on one. Fight commentary would be a fun thing, but I'm I'm actually losing my voice just from being in that place and talking to people with all the loud music and everything. I could imagine if I was talking for the whole four hours um, without whiskey. I mean, whiskey is the only way I'm able to talk for an hour straight to you guys because it keeps my throat lubricated. 
Art Vandelay couldn't make it on the show this evening. He had a prior engagement, some kind of architect uh, convention or some shit. Um, yeah, thanks everybody for, for coming and hanging out on the live show. It's always more fun uh, when we get a lot of comments. Sorry I didn't uh, keep up with them too well. Um, I know I missed a bunch of them, but uh, I'll, I'll go back and read them and I'll respond if you know, they need responding to. So thanks for everybody for tuning in. Thanks to everybody who, you know, buys the merchandise from Team Reaper. And thanks to everybody who doesn't and who just listens to the show, shares the show, uh, puts comments on the YouTube video, which helps out a lot. Um, and and all that stuff, even the criticism, even even the nasty comments from people. I enjoy it all. Um I'll have a drink and laugh about your your nasty criticism. I'll find the humor in it. Um, I'm, I'm not an easy guy to tick off. I got a pretty thick skin, I like to think. All right, well, that's that. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you know how to do it. It's on at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media. You can send me an email, MMAontherocks at gmail.com. You can go to the website, MMAontherocks.com. Uh, you can leave a comment through there. Somebody will check it, maybe. And that's all I got for this week. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Wrong button. <laughs>